You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey everybody, this is Leslie and I am here with my friend Maddie who has the most beautiful smile I've ever seen. Thank you. <laughs> um, Maddie, let's, let's talk really quick about what inspired you to come on this podcast to share your story. Um, I have always felt uh, a pull towards speaking out um, and being authentic and real and um, shedding light on some of the topics that are sort of in the dark. And I think motherhood and mental illness um, is definitely one of those subjects that um, needs to be spoken about more. And I know I didn't anticipate half of the things that happened when I became a mom and and before, you know, the process of becoming a mom. Um, And I think it's important to speak out about that. I agree. So tell us that process for you and what it was like to become a mom. So backstory, I um, was sexually abused by a boyfriend in high school. Um, And as is common with uh, survivors of sexual abuse, um, healing is not an immediate response Mm -hmm. to that. Um, So I had a lot of suppressed um, memories and emotions and, and I didn't uh, realize the full extent of the abuse because I had blocked it out in my mind until um, I got pregnant and they started doing (laughs) cervix exams and and had to spread my legs for a gynecologist (laughs) and uh, as that um, the more I got the closer I got to giving birth the more triggering the experiences were Oh my gosh. And I, yeah. I didn't so, even think about that. Like I do you know what I mean? You don't think about how those things would trigger you like that. Yeah. And I didn't know they would. <laughs> they, oh, that's awful. I thought that I had like dealt with it and that I could like move on. And I totally didn't anticipate it. Um we got married and, and pregnant. Um we were pregnant relatively quick after we got married. And I was excited for pregnancy. I had no reservations or fears, but that just kind of popped in last minute. So were you vocal with your husband about that throughout your pregnancy? Did he know? Were you, did you keep it to yourself? Um, I am very vocal, uh, especially with my husband. So I spoke with him about everything at that point. And I knew, he knew that I had had some history of abuse, but just as much as I did, as I told yeah. them everything I could remember at the time. Um, but as I started to remember more things, I was speaking with him mm-hmm. uh, directly about what I was feeling. And so then you, you had your baby, and what did it, what happened from there? So um, bef- it's sort of, um, I started feeling like I wasn't going to be able to give birth because I didn't know how I was going to lay in on a bed with nurses and doctors with a spotlight at my vulva and, 
you know, people pulling stuff out of it. And so um, I started going to therapy at a foundation for women who are sexually abused as children um, at like 36 weeks pregnant. And I had my son at 38 weeks. Oh, so, so not even a lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to like maybe one or two sessions and I was like, help me as fast as you can. <laughs> Actually, I got an epidural pretty early on so that I, I asked three centimeters and I was like, I'm not going to be able to handle you guys checking me more than once without an epidural. I don't want to feel anything from the waist down. So I just got one pretty early on and it was pretty smooth. Um, and then, yeah, recovery was, was pretty normal. That's good. And so emotionally, um, how was, how was that first, like, I feel like after you have your baby, everybody wants to come in your room and show you how to nurse and all the things. And you're super exposed even at that point. So what was your few days at the hospital like? It's a great question. I hadn't even thought about that before. I, uh, uh, I, I'm not like a super modest woman like I'm not shy about nursing in front of people but I do remember some distinct moments where I felt very uncomfortable with a man in the room who was looking at me um, while I was trying to nurse and and that was super uncomfortable I didn't even attribute that to of course it was now that I look back but I didn't attribute that at the time to um, PTSD from abuse so did you continue the therapy after at all I did for um, like my son was six months old when we moved to a different state, so I didn't continue therapy there, and I was like doing great and feeling good for you know until my son was about one year old, and then we got pregnant again. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So between that time frame before you got pregnant again, did you experience any kind of mood? changes or intrusive thoughts or did it really hit hard with your second like what what did you feel like was what consumed you the most during that time um I definitely had some postpartum depression um but I also had pre-pregnancy depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. you know so I don't know if it um was worse after pregnancy but I definitely had some extra stuff to deal with because of the memories and emotions that came up. Um, but I, I just did pretty intensive therapy um, and workbooks um, to keep that, to process everything that I had remembered at that point. Um, and I started a blog where I spoke up about my abuse and, and other experiences that I had. And that was really um, therapeutic for me, even after we moved and I was not in therapy anymore. Mm-hmm. But at, yeah, you did... You nailed, you got the nail on the head. Is that the expression? Sure. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> um, it, it totally came back up again when I got pregnant with my second. And were you so scared? Yeah, I, th- I thought we were ready. <laughs> we felt that we are ready. And um, this time I, I chose to have a, a woman OBGYN. 
And I was like, great. And I've done all this healing and I remember everything from my abuse now. And um, there's no way, like, I'm totally prepared for this pregnancy. But then I started going back and getting routine pregnancy exams. And even with a woman, it was like so triggering. Mm-hmm. And I remembered probably three times the amount that I did with my first pregnancy. I I don't know why it came out so much of the second one, but yeah, it was miserable. Like the majority of my pregnancy and this time I knew why I was experiencing, um, some PTSD syndrome or symptoms. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't have the therapist that I had before. Um, and I bled for a lot longer after delivery, and that was, like, hard to do. Um, and how long ago was that? My daughter is almost nine months old. So, so I'm fresh. still in recovery. Yeah. yeah. So had you communicated with your doctor? the Both times that you were having those triggering, were they aware? So the first time I had it, communicated until um I was about like 34 weeks pregnant and I was like I there was a particularly triggering man male doctor Mm -hmm. that was doing the cervix checks that day and I just like could not even get my legs apart that day and that was when I was like, okay, I need some serious help. And then after that point, I did express to my doctors what was going on in my mind as soon as I knew what yeah, was happening. Of course. <laughs> yeah. And then the, the second time around, I did communicate with my doctor from day one that I was um, a survivor of sexual abuse and that I am very apprehensive when it comes to exams. And I apologize ahead of time for any... <laughs> you know, uh, tightening of my legs, that might happen. It's just a natural response. So you, I, I think it's so brave that you talked to your doctors and let them know that. Like, I think that's amazing. That's a huge step. So, um, with your second, um, with your doctor knowing everything that was going on, um, did you feel a little safer knowing that they knew? Um, yeah, I think for most of my pregnancy, um, they they knew ahead of time, so they didn't do as many checks. It turns out you don't need as many checks, you know, until you start to go into labor and have contractions, and you really don't have to, you know, get your cervix checked like I did with my first pregnancy. So it was uh, far less triggering because I had it to them. I think this is so incredibly brave of you because I feel like there's this is a topic, especially with maternal mental health, that people don't talk about, you know? So it's like a combo, right? Like, people don't talk about maternal mental health and people don't talk about sexual abuse. Yeah. Let alone how that affects everything. Um, yeah. So you're nine months postpartum, and what have you been doing? How are you um, feeling? Where are you at right now? Uh, it has been a long battle. I got my membranes swept this last pregnancy, and I think that was 
it, it uh, set me back a lot in my healing. Something about that was just really triggering. I think pain, you know, as they reach up, um, and I, it, if you don't know what a membrane sweep is, it's the doctor reaches their fingers up through the vagina and past the cervix and tries to separate the uh, the bag where the baby is from the uterine lining. And so it, there is some pain as that happens. And and I, I don't know if I have to explain why hands up a vagina would be triggering to a sexual abuser or yeah. sexual abuse survivor. Um, and then after that, um, I was bleeding as soon as I left from the office. And that is also really triggering for a sexual abuse survivor, depending on um, how violent their rape was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and mine was. <laughs> So being um, brought back a lot, it set me back in my, my healing and it, it uh, you're not supposed to have sex for six weeks after being pregnant, but I could have done it for a year <laughs> if yeah. I, just because it's a motherhood community Facebook page and um, people are always on there like, do we have to wait six weeks? And I'm just like, oh, oh my gosh, I could have, I could be celibate for the rest of my life. And, just, <laughs> and I love my husband and I'm very attracted to him, but but it's hard when you Trauma. experience triggers, yeah, mm-hmm. the whole time. Yep. So what kind of, do you, have you found a, a, a therapist up there? Did you say you have? Just recently, mm-hmm. um, like in the last month or so, I've started, I have kind of tested the waters and a few other therapists and just never felt comfortable. I had had therapists before pregnancy um, and after my sexual abuse that I never said anything to. So I never remembered, you know, with them. And so I think it's really important to find a therapist that um, feels safe to talk to. Mm-hmm. And, and I just hadn't found one yet um, in the almost two years that we've lived in Seattle. And so now I just finally found one that I think is going to work for me. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. And so what's your, what are your where you're where you're at today, having found somebody, what are your biggest things that you want to have as a takeaway from this? Um, I have learned a lot about self care and uh, making yourself a priority and um, not relying on anyone else to take care of you. And I don't. I want to be careful because my husband is the most caring and giving man you would ever meet. But I have learned to not expect him to meet my needs, even though he does. Um, But I have to take care of myself Mm -hmm. as an adult and a mom. Um, And that sometimes that means, you know, taking a bubble bath. But sometimes that means going to therapy, um, taking my medication daily so that I, to prevent panic attacks, um, doing yoga, because that reduces some stress. Sometimes that means 
telling my mother-in-law to stop talking to me a certain way. (laughs) (laughs) Borders or boundaries are uh, self-care in my world. Yeah, and uh, all of those things together are um, just taking care of yourself, getting in touch with your body, because sexual abuse causes a lot of people to dissociate, which means... They live outside of their body. So I think I spent both of my pregnancies outside of my body. People love being pregnant because they feel their baby and stuff. And I just was not there. I hate pregnancy. I hate being pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably because it's just a really triggering experience. But um, learning how to ground myself... um, using, you know, connecting with my senses and, you know, touching things around me or feeling things around me, anything to bring me to the the present moment um, allows me to get back into my body um, and that's self-care as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would say that learning um, healthy coping mechanisms. Yeah, for sure. And talking about it, I mean... I know that there's a lot of support groups in every community, right? Like, and sharing your story with women that are in those support groups and around you, I think is so powerful. So I wanted to ask you, a lot of the times I feel like, at least from my experience as well, a lot of my childhood trauma resurfaced after becoming a mom. Um, You had lost your dad. How long ago was that? Um, it was in 2013, which was the same year I was sexually abused. Oh, my gosh. So, so um, that's got to tie into so much yeah, of this, too, right? Like For sure. Holy um, cow. Definitely. <laughs> um, things like um, he's not going to be there to play with my children or... Um, there's always in the back of my mind, like imagining what he would be like with my kids and, and how that would be. And that definitely has resurfaced um, and brought up a lot of stuff that I maybe didn't heal from right away mm-hmm. as a 17 year old. Oh, yeah. Uh, just trying to slap a smile on to, to get by. And then, yeah, as a, as a mom and trying to be the best mom I can be, that means I have to take care of childhood wounding and I have a lot (laughs) so um yeah that's definitely resurfaced and I think um plays a part into why I need to um use healthy coping mechanisms like grounding and yoga that's definitely part of (laughs) the treatment so I read your blog. I looked at your blog last night, and I loved something that you posted on there about toxic positivity. And I struggle with this so bad. It's nuts. So I would love if you would give a minute on that and, like, where you're at with that and why that's something that you even posted about. Because I feel like that is the mom thing. Yeah, it is. Um, my dad, he, uh, <laughs> his motto was... Um, be thankful and so that was kind of his gift was energy to everything so it was always really playful and, and 
we didn't want anything to be heavy. And I think I postponed a lot of my healing trying to be thankful for what I did have and not what I didn't have and um, smile and be okay with um, everything that was going on. For some reason, to me, that's what um, strong people looked like. Um, I remember as a kid looking at this woman I really admired and she smiled all the time. And I remember thinking, I want to be like that. I want to smile all the time. And I really admired my dad for being able to lighten situations that were heavy. And and I think I took on that um, burden when he died. I, I wanted people to not feel so heavy or, or to cry about it or give them something to be happy about. And I learned, um, it's not a true belief, but I, I picked up the belief that um, I was responsible for the mood of the people around me. And I was, um, if they were sad, I was required to do something about it. Um, and so, yes, uh, that was toxic positivity. I um, experienced a lot of it through many different years and, and it's something that has really taken a toll on me and um, only in the past couple years have I really given myself permission to be angry and be sad um, and be irrational sometimes and, and let myself um, experience the panic attacks that are coming rather than just trying to shut down and freeze and um, put them away but just to actually sit with the discomfort that was there for, for as long as I could handle mm-hmm. um, and, and heal from that. And I've learned a lot about um, emotions. There's Dr. Julie Hanks. I don't know if you know her, but yes. you should check it out. She talks a lot about um, how emotions are just emotions. They aren't positive or negative there aren't good emotions and bad emotions and that's something I had um mixed up in my head I don't know that anyone specifically taught me that but I had a a belief in the back of my head that being happy was good and being angry and sad was bad and and if you had asked me as a 17 year old girl if I had that belief I would have said no (laughs) I'd be like no I am grieving really I am and looking back, I'm like, okay, it's like seven years later, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I so did not believe that. But um, Julie Hanks, again, speaks about how you can distinguish angry behavior from angry feelings. So, yeah, you and when you get angry, just be angry, but that doesn't mean you have to lash out at your family or or hit someone, or, you know, there are healthy ways to channel that emotion, um, like exercise, or, you know, something to work through that um, fiery emotion that you might be feeling um, in a healthy way, and it's important that you do, rather than to turn it off and say, you know, do a self-affirmation, like, I am happy, I am, you know, I am thankful, and all of this, you know, I, uh, 
yeah, I've it's uh, been a, a journey learning how to not stop myself from feeling emotions that I thought were negative. Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing because I feel like if you if you really okay for me if I get to the point where I notice that I'm I have anxiety it's usually because I'm trying so hard to create a good space for everyone around me and not paying attention to myself and it's like as a mom it's so easy to do that to be like you are responsible for your children yes so where do where do you draw the line yeah and then we even tell our kids like stop whining stop crying but it's like no, we need to let them feel an emotion, but teach them the balance there. So anyways, I loved that blog post. Last night, it was like a literal slap in my face. So I love that. Um, Thank I'm, you. I love slapping. <laughs> I should slap myself and let myself feel angry, right? Um, no, that's... Anyways, um, I, I want to ask you the famous question, but I'm going to ask it a little bit different because a lot of our moms that we talk to are a year, three years, several years out, right? Um, I feel like you're in it, you know? You're in those trenches. You're healing. You're grieving. You're going through a process right now. And I feel like rather than asking if you could go back and tell yourself, I, I want I want to know what you want to tell the moms out there that haven't told their doctor or haven't told their husband or their spouse or maybe are running away from that emotion of knowing that they've been sexually abused and it is, it's ruining things for them, right? It's this dark cloud that will follow them forever. What do you want to tell those moms out there that are listening to this that just realize that this is probably why they don't like the doctor's appointments or they don't even want to try and get pregnant because they don't want to have sex or whatever, all the things. So there's moms out there that, are listening to this because I'm going to name it, I'm going to title it sexual abuse and trauma that are going to specifically listen to this knowing that you are a voice for them and you're speaking for them. So what do you want them to know? What hope can you give them? Um, What words of strength or reality? What can you tell them? What's this journey going to look like for them? Um, I want them to know that it did happen. And it might feel like a dream or something that, um, or that it wasn't as big of a deal as it is. I have a habit of saying, you know, my, my sexual abuse wasn't really that bad. And I think a lot of people do that, but it was bad. And so it's yours if you're experiencing this. Um, it just, you know, one night of abuse can mess you up for years and years. And there it's a, a constant um, journey of healing from where, whenever that happened. Um, it's not your fault. You didn't do anything. There is, a, it's really easy to feel promiscuous or um, easy or, or you were stupid. Maybe you were drunk. I, you know, there are lots of different reasons that the people get blamed for being raped, being abused, um, and it's all BS. <laughs> the rape is 100% on the rapist. Abuse is 100% on the abuser. No one, is, no one does anything to deserve abuse. No one should be treated that way. Um, and 
Um, don't be afraid to just rip off the band-aid. Um, when you start to feel triggered, you start to feel your heart pound or your, your for me, it's my neck gets really tight. I clench my jaw. Um, I know something, a memory is about to come up. Um, instead, it's really easy. The easier option is to dissociate, to leave your body, um, be quiet, power through the moment, just finish whatever you're doing. It's a lot harder to stay there in the discomfort. But if you don't stay there, you're going to end up there another time. <laughs> and it's usually worse if you've suppressed it. Mm-hmm. So uh, just do your best. It's not always possible to stay. I mean, the reason we dissociate is because our brains are protecting us from those emotions and it's not always possible to deal with all of them right there in that moment, but um, be uh, vulnerable with yourself. Um, is, um, tell your partner, my, uh, my husband is 100% supportive and you brought uh, the idea of not being able to get pregnant because sex might be triggering and it 100% is for me um, and if my partner didn't know I could only imagine the kind of relationship we would have because I would shut I shut down when we're having sex sometimes because I'm triggered and it's hard for me to speak up in that moment um, but because I've spoken up before and have shared that with my husband he um, is um, constantly paying attention to what I, um, you, my emotions um, while we are being intimate. And it's oftentimes he will stop and say, you look uncomfortable. Are you um, experiencing triggers? Would you like, what would you like to do at this point? And, and if I had not communicated before that, I don't know that he would know to look for that. Mm-hmm. And I would have just shut my mouth because that's what survivors do. <laughs> that's how you get through it. And um, and the same with the doctor. They uh, Before I told them that I would be uncomfortable, they would be annoyed with me. Like, okay, you're going to have to relax. You're going to have to relax your legs. And I would be like, I don't, I don't know how to do that. Like, I don't, it's not a conscious thing for me to like clam up. But when I uh, express that to the doctors, they're really used to it. And a lot of times they can tell, um, anyway, even if you don't say it, my mom, my grandma is a, um, labor and delivery nurse. And she's like, no, I know when, (laughs) (laughs) when women who have been abused are giving birth they behave differently chances are you're already behaving differently and you might not even know it (laughs) um but now when when doctors approach me um for regular exams iud insertion or or removal um i tell them and they come with a very gentle approach and they um it's often I'll just give you an example. They say, you're going to feel my hand right here on the outside. And then um, they say, okay, are you ready? Right. And as I, as they, 
begin the exam, they talk to me the whole time about what's happening, and it's um, all consensual, and there's no forcing or anything, and I can only, like, it's, it's like 1% triggering, as opposed to like the 100% trigger of someone trying to force a check on you. That's amazing. Um, thank you so much for being so brave and so bold. And I, I want the moms out there that are listening to know that, um, you don't have to go through this alone. Um, this is very real for a lot of moms. Um, and if one in four women are abused for the age of 18. So 25% of the moms listening are experiencing this. Wow. And I also want to say, if you're currently a victim of sexual abuse, rape, please call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673. It's confidential. It's free. Um, No one should suffer or go through this alone at all, ever. Um, You can also visit um, PSI. They have local chapters. It's Postpartum Support International for any moms that are experiencing any kind of mental um, mood disorder, mental illness, anything. Um, there's so many resources and so many support groups out there for postpartum and for sexual abuse. Um, please do not suffer in this alone. Our children deserve healthy, happy moms. For me, uh, I just wanted to add another resource. Uh, the Unique Foundation. Unique is spelled Y O U. N-I-Q-U-E, they offer a lot of free services to women who have been abused. Um, And even if you're not local, they're in uh, Utah, but if you're not local, they have a website with lots of free resources and all of the um, five um, strategies for healing on there. So just check out the Unique Foundation. (laughs) Awesome. I'm going to also add that to the description on the podcast as well. Is there anything else you want to share with all the moms? Um, you're doing great. You're doing better than you think you are. If anyone tells you that you're not, they're wrong. I agree. Maddie, thank you so much. It's been an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba Podcast Studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.